Welcome to the Thrive Church weekly message. We hope you enjoy this message and we pray that it blesses you. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit thrivechurch.co.nz. awesome thank you thank you so much what a great privilege and pleasure it is to be in here um i was talking to ian last night he wants me to pass on his love i think many of you have heard you know the mouth from the south that's my husband i'm the quieter half of the of the equation and yeah he's actually with ray and shannon thompson who are just planting a new church there he was our former youth pastor So watch out for Jared, you know, because you might get this sudden idea. Bloody churches. It's such a privilege to be here, and I can't agree more, Glenn. This is such a good season in God. There is new things all the time that's coming out. There's new spiritual technology. Sozo's a part of that. But there is, this is such a time of favor for our nation, and, and it's exciting to be a Christian and in ministry at this time. And I was thinking particularly of you guys, Peter and Lynn, I wonder if you would mind just standing. I didn't expect this, sorry. I just want to honour you. How many years have you been in ministry? He doesn't know. Oh, wow, she does it, yeah. She's been on oh, 20 years. <laughs> but I just want to honour I just want to honor you guys. You're just amazing and phenomenal. And I believe the Lord would say to you, your best times are ahead. Your best times are ahead. In central Otago, it is the, years ago, there used to be a very well-known variety of apricot. It's a Moore Park variety, very, very luscious and flavorsome. And it was one of the premium apricots that you could get. And it was usually the more expensive. And it, the thing about the Moorparks is they didn't come into their best flavour until they were 60, 70, 80 years old. Your best years are ahead. Because you've got the years of development and flavour. And these precious people here are going to be able to partake of all that you carry. Come on, let's just honour them. Wow. You might be getting old, but there's, you know, I come from a place, uh, you might be getting old, but I come from a place that is a butt of jokes, Invercargill. Anytime anyone talks about Invercargill, we're all on about the weather. And yeah, I know, that's true. And yeah, it can be pretty crappy, but we raise champions. We raised champions in Invercargill, and there was one guy who set a world record that has not yet been broken, and he was 68 years old. Come on, 68. He said, and it hasn't been broken yet. And I wonder if we put that first slide up, you might know who it is. Bert Monroe a motorcycle rider. He set the, the speed record for our hundred, the under... Um, a thousand cc's at Bonneville Flats, no Salt Flats in Bonneville, and that he sent that at 1967 on a bike he got 20 years previously. A bike was 47 years old, 
And he worked on it for 20 years, fine-tuning and tweaking it up and overcome huge obstacles, taking a bike overseas, travelling away up there, getting back again. Just a humble man. And he, he broke actually eight records, and one of them still stands. Bert Monroe. In fact, he was so famous they made a film about him. You know, he was one who stood up to the Goliaths of his time. No money. Way, way out at the ends of the earth. And yet he had a passion. And even though he was old, 67, he determined that he was going to do that. It's not old. 67 is not old, is it? No. So he was determined. He, he stood up to the Goliaths of his time. And when we think of David and Goliath, most of us would think of this kind of uh, picture. You know, you've got, you know, a huge, massive giant and tiny wee David and most of us. And that's kind of been the typical picture of David and Goliath. Would you agree? Okay, how many of you heard about that at Sunday school? You know, wee David, big Goliath. Okay, are you up for busting myths in this church? I love busting this. There's something about it. It's just actually quite invigorating. Okay, let's just do a quick recap of history. Here you have the Philistines moved in. They want more territory. So they go and and move across to the southern um, part of Israel and set up camp along a mountain ridge. And, of course, the Israelites under King Saul aren't very fussed because suddenly they've got all these squatters who actually want to inhabit their territory. And so their movement effectively cut his kingdom in half. They set out camp on the northern side. I don't know where north is here. You know, it's sort of behind me. The northern side, they set out camp there. You've got the Israelites there. And in between is a great ravine. And here they are glaring at each other over this ravine to move, to move forward into battle. One of them was going to have to go down into the ravine and do this suicidal climb up the other side. No one's very careful. No one, there's no one wanting to do that. So they're in deadlock, glaring at each other across these mountain ridges. So to break the deadlock, the Philistines present their bat at their champion battler. And it's a battle of the champions, which is very, very well known in the Aegean um, people of the past, but it may have been unknown to the Israelites. May, they may not have known about it. But as you know the story, they bring out this huge giant who's actually, um, and, they, and they believe that if their champion won over the Israelites' champion, it was the will of the gods, and that the nation that had been conquered would serve the winning nation. That's how it went. Avoided a lot of bloodshed. It actually makes a lot of sense. However, as we know the story, the Israelites didn't really have any takers, and Goliath is actually fairly impressive. He's between seven and nine feet tall or 2.53 metres. He's got a spear, which is about nine metres tall. The shaft of it, the head of it would be seven k's. The diameter is about five uh, centimetres. He's wearing a bronze coat of mail and it's all over him and it, it weighed 54 k's. Scripture tells me 54 k's. He's got a spearhead and then he's got a skull cap on. Um, there was no bit down the middle. That was a Greek form. It was just a skull cap that covered his head. And then it's his sword. He's got this sickle sword, you know, one of those round ones, 
which is not normally a Philistine bit of armour. But however, he, um, he, he was showing that obviously from a previous battle. It's a trophy from a previous battle. And really, it's quite intimidating. Now, to complete the picture, there's an armour bearer who bears his shield, which, of course, is larger than the average. Altogether, it's fairly formidable, I'm sure you would agree. And he's got this great, big, amazing voice to, to complete the picture. Come on! Bring him out! Who am I going to fight? And he's laying out the invitation for a battle. Well, of course, as you can imagine, there weren't a lot of takers. People were thinking, who is this man? Who the heck is Goliath? Let me tell you an interesting bit about you, which may be a bit of an eye-opener. His name is Strong from Garth, and his mother's name was Ophrah. How many of you are the biblical scholars amongst you? Who's Ophrah? She was the sister-in-law of Ruth. Remember, Miriam went down to the Philistine gender and then came back to Bethlehem. Ruth accompanied her, but her sister-in-law, Ophrah, took 40 paces, then went back. That was Goliath's mum. Isn't that interesting? So he's actually part of the extended family. So anyway, if you want to put it in those terms... So he's quite impotent, and his size is so incredibly intimidating, and it's deliberate tactic to demoralize the Israelite army, because if you can demoralize them, if you can scare them, they won't even want to fight. And guess what? It worked. They, none of them wanted to feel fight, wanted to fight. And so for 40 days, he does that every morning. And every evening, right at the time they set the prayers that the Israelites used to recite every morning and every evening when they declared that God was supreme overall. Isn't that ironic? Challenged it. How incredibly challenging that was. Okay, let's just scratch another couple of myths. David was not a young lad being a full-time shepherd in the field. He was actually in the king's army already, as the armor bearer. Remember when Saul, depressed, they sent a musician to help him out from that, and he, he employed him as his armor bearer? David was already in his army, and I can actually show you from Scripture, but it doesn't kind of line up with a lot of our photos, our pictures that we have. But he was already in the army as an armor bearer, and he was obviously on leave, what do you do when you're on leave? You go home. He's helping his dad out with his sheep because that's his familiar thing. Dad says, take pizza back to your brother. So he goes back to work. And so he's actually there. And then, of course, he heals. We all know um, what he heals. And that sort of, he hears the whole thing. Now, poor old Saul, you've got to feel sorry for poor Saul because he's in a bit of an awkward situation. David... Uh, Goliath was a giant amongst the Philistines, but Saul was head and shoulders above his fellow Israelites. He's a logical court choice to square off, but he doesn't, you know, since, you know, and at one stage he was a, a, an amazing warrior, but that was before the Spirit of the Lord left him. When the Spirit of the Lord left him, along with off went his courage at the same time. So he's desperate. 
He's, I mean, every day that goes by, I, you got to feel sorry for the guy. Every day that goes by, he's more and more desperate. He's offering a cash incentive, a tax exemption, a princess to anyone that will fight this giant. And so far, there's no takers because everybody just looks at the obstacle and go, no, no, who would want to do that? You're not going to survive. And so it's getting more and more desperate. David gets back. He hears and says, I can take him on. I can take him on. And Saul goes, yeah. And word gets around. You know what? Word gets around really quick. And so Saul hears. There's a man who thinks he can take him on. Saul's desperate, grabs him. Come. And he calls for him. He goes to see him. And Saul is expecting a seasoned warrior. And he looks at David and he goes, oh, you're, you're young. You're young. You're not experienced. You're just a youth. He's been a soldier longer since you've been alive. You can't do it. And David goes, yes, I can. But Saul's desperate. So I thought, okay, now listen carefully. Saul had done some dumb things in his life. He'd made some stupid choices. But really, he wasn't unintelligent. Would he, one of the tallest, the tallest men in Israel, offer his armour to a young boy, knowing that it would hobnail his chances of winning the battle. No. Let's get real here. You wouldn't offer your army to someone who couldn't your armour to someone who couldn't possibly fit it. He didn't do it. And what's more, David, he, he I mean if he was that much of a size difference, he would have ordered one of his soldiers to give him his armour. Wouldn't he? Think about it logically. We're all logical people here. Okay. So he didn't. David tried it on and he refused it. Why did he refuse it? He didn't say it didn't fit me. Check out the details, 1 Samuel 17. He didn't say it didn't fit me. He said, I have not tested these. In other words, I'm not used to this armor. It's not going to work for me. I've never used it before. You know, the first time you do something, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's not for me. He said, I, I'm not used to it, it's not going to work. And so he refused it on that basis. And then another point to prove is that he was the one who picked up Goliath's shield. He wasn't a little boy struggling to pick up this huge short seal, short sword. <laughs> he wasn't a little boy. I mean, he used the sword to cut off Goliath's head. He wasn't little. David was roughly the same size as Saul. He was not a little boy at all. That kind of picture is completely inaccurate. But how many of us have been raised on that? If you look it up, it's not as completely inaccurate. Isn't that interesting? It is so interesting. Anyway, he picked it up because he wanted all of Israel to, to know he was determined to honor God. Everybody thought that God needed to win with a sword. But David's motivation was that God's name be honoured. It wasn't about fame for himself. It was about that God's name and be honoured. And so he went and he challenged him. Now Saul's absolutely incensed, as we know. He was, you know, he couldn't believe that they would send a shepherd, the lowliest of professions. And David is yelling to him that God's going to be honoured through this. He's enraged. He races to him. He wants to cut him down. David picks up his sling. 
and throws a stone, hits him in Goliath's forehead. Goliath fell forward. Why would he fall forward? Think about it. You're hit by a stone. Why don't you go backwards? But he fell forward. Did you know that Goliath had Dagon, the god Dagon, and tattooed over his heart? And he was the one that had captured the ark and taken it to the temple of Dagon. And you know the story that when the ark was in that temple, their god, Dagon, fell face forward. Not once, not twice. And the third time it fell, it broke the head off. Isn't that interesting? As it so happened to the god, it happened to the worshipper. Isn't that amazing? So David brought out a weapon that I'm not sure whether it had been seen on the battlefield or not before. I'm just not sure about that. But as a shepherd, he was very, very familiar with this. Okay. This is Dave. Um, actually, I wonder if we could have the next slide. Okay. Was David really the underdog? Okay. Was he really? Next slide, please. To, do, to examine that, we need to look at the evidence of battles in the day. They, they would, a typical battle would start off with your artillery on the top left. You've got your, slinger, your slingers, what they call slingers, were slinger shots, and your archers. Now, they'd be the ones that would actually set the scene of the battle. They were the ones to go in first. And then in comes the cavalry, you know, the chariots, the horses, the spears. They come plowing in. And after that, you would send in the infantry. You know, they had the ones that do hand-to-hand combat, that sort of thing. Now, the infantry can take out the cavalry. The cavalry can take out the artillery if they get close enough, which is unlikely if they're up high. But the artillery, your bows and arrows and slings, take out, they are deadly against the infantry, the hand-to-hand combat. They're absolutely deadly. Goliath was a sitting duck. He had no opportunity. These, he had, David had for him a sling. This is how it works. It's so, so, so easy. Made up of bits of string. Now, I thought I'd better not use a stone because <laughs> there might be a little bit of... And all you do is you put that in. You know, the ammunition's just right at your feet. You just do an underhand. Longer slings go further. Shorter slings are more accurate. You can get to speeds of 450 kilometres an hour over 400 metres. They are so accurate. A proficient slinger can take someone out, hit someone at face at will. Whatever part of their face, they can, they can take out a bird mid-flight. They are so accurate. David brings out his weapon. Goliath didn't have a chance. He had no chance. So looking at the evidence, you've got, you know, Goliath's advantage. He had years of training. He had experience. He had all the armour. And he had a sword bearer. But looking at David, he had, yes, he had um, 
Let me look at it. I'm just get this wrong. David's advantages were no formal training. He hadn't been through military school, and he thought outside the box. That's an advantage. People thinking outside the box. He had no armor. Gave him speed and agility. He had. He was proficient with a sling, and he had a word from God, because God told him that one day he would be king. So Goliath had no chance whatsoever. Goliath is utterly done. And so he walked out, and we all know the story. He took him out. This morning when I came in, each one of you were given a bit of Lego. And I just had a sense last weekend when I was praying about this, David was offered the king's armor. That's incredible to be have to that offer. Of to, that's actually quite an honor. But he turned it down. He chose not to do that. And you know, the armor that we can use in life can vary from person to person. We can use armor to keep people to keep ourselves safe. We can use anger. We can use isolation. We can use guilt. We can use um, uh, work, even religious work. We can use control. We can use all manner of things to keep ourselves safe if we're not feeling comfortable. God promises to keep us safe. Next one, please, guys. In the word, um, Psalm 91, in the, in the Passion Version, says his massive arms are wrapped around you. Can I ask you to do me a favor? Wrap your arms around me. And wrap your arms. His great big massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you right around me, like that. That's right. It's quite nice, actually. <laughs> okay. You can run under his covering and hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield, keeping you from harm. <laughs> Smile for the camera. Already <laughs> was. I was just naturally Thank smiling. You. Next one, please. You are my strength and my shield from every danger. When I fully trust in you, help is on the way. This will be the inner strength of all your people, the mighty protector of all, the saving strength of all your anointed ones. But the thing is, you can't have both. You can't have your self-protection and you can't have God protecting you. It is a choice. God paid a high price for you to have that ability to choice. He will not override your choice. And I just have a sense this morning, if you are willing to lay down your armor, there will come an impartation of you, of his strength and his protection into you that is different from what you've known before. There will come a new sense of his protection around you. And I just have a sense for many of you, you know, as I'm sorry, I'm not sure of your name, but as Mitch picked his arm around me, and I could have leaned into him and just felt quite safe. There is a security in leaning into Jesus that you're not going to find in any self protection. So I want to give you an invitation if you want to, and there's no pressure, but please, I want the Lego back. <laughs> um, if you like, as a, as a choice, as a dedication to bring your armor and lay it down as a muse, leave it in prayer and just go, God, I choose 
to trust you. God, I, I'm, I'm really not sure what this means and I'm a bit scared and I feel very vulnerable here, but I choose to let you trust me and will you please help me to learn to trust you like I need to because I want to make the most of my life. I want to make the most of life. You're trustworthy for your honour. Lord, I choose to do that. Amen. So as Muso's leaders, we'll just move on there. Thank you, Jude. Oh, one thing. Sheep are the only animals that have no natural defence. Sheep are the only animals. They can't bite. They can't scratch. They can't kick. They can't. They don't have horns. They have no natural protection. Sheep need a shepherd. We have a shepherd. We have the shepherd of our souls. That's his role. But we can choose not to include him if we have our own self-protection. I, I encourage you, lay down your self-protection and let the shepherd do his role for you. God bless you.